0: This podcast and others are brought to you by EverythingVoluntary.com. The Voluntary Principle states that all human relations should happen by mutual consent or not at all. This podcast aims to promote respect for the Voluntary Principle in all walks of life and for all age groups. My name is Skylar Collins, and this is Everything Voluntary. You can receive all new content offered by EverythingVoluntary.com in your email inbox every single weekday for free. Visit digest.EverythingVoluntary.com to subscribe. Okay, that should be all right. Okay. Well, how the heck are you?
1: Uh I don't know. You know, uh, concerned about the future, I guess I could say. Right? Concerned about what awaits us over the next, uh, uh, you know, who knows how many years. You know, uh, we're making a little bit of a transition here, uh, and without reiterating, you know, some of my positions from the last time, from about a month ago or whenever the last time was. I think it was almost a month. It usually is. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to make of where we are, but, uh, I, I, uh, I'm not feeling too good about it in my gut. Put it that way. That's, that's about all I can really say. Not that I'm ever really feeling too good about government in general, but, uh, I have a a particularly ominous feeling, you know, I, uh, I,
0: I I think I've been feeling the same way. I've, I've definitely been feeling pessimistic, hmm. especially after seeing, um, the the trump pardons not include julian assange edward snowden ross Ulbricht. it it just that was i i think that i think that the democrats got to him i think that they promised them something not not to pardon these guys and we'll you know we'll leave you alone or something at least from the federal level maybe well they they,
1: they seem to be pursuing this impeachment you know are uh, they still doing that yeah. Yeah. They, they seem to be pushing that really hard, you know, predominantly Schumer and Pelosi predictably and Adam Schiff, uh, basically all the people that he bad mouthed over the last four years, you know, and, and they seem to be uh, pushing that. And, you know, this is an unprecedented thing for someone who's an ex-president and he's now an ex-president uh, and they still want to want to push impeachment against him, probably to try to prevent him from running for office ever again. Uh, would be my guess. And also just as sort of a vengeance kind of thing uh, to punish him for having defied their their little system that they've set up over the past many decades. Um, but uh, aside from that, you know, I mean, I, I don't see why the running for office thing should be something you should be worried about. I mean, they just showed everybody that they have the power to just rig an election and just do whatever they want. So I, I don't see why they're too concerned about him running for office ever again. Why? Why should they be? They've just shown everybody they've they've shown everybody, and I and libertarians on one hand should be rejoicing because everything that we've said about elections, but we we've done so from the standpoint of well, it's completely fraudulent and illegitimate from the very get go because it proposes to allow a certain number of people to exercise a right that they don't even have. Which is to delegate the authority they don't have to the political class who then rules everybody, whether they consent or not at the barrel of a gun. That is true. Okay. Yet for even people who still think that that process was legitimate, now we see that, that even within the context of their own fraudulent rules that they've, that they've completely, you know, thrown all caution to the wind, thrown all protocol and any pretense of fairness or equity to the wind and just tossed it out. It's analogous to the income tax, right? We know that regardless of what the law says, okay, taxation is an illegitimate thing. It's just theft. It's just stealing. It's just a group of conquerors forcing you to pay them, okay? But if we specifically look at the income tax and all the things that Erwin Schiff and Larkin Rose and Joe Bannister and all the other people over the years, Bill Benson have taught us about Even if you want to accept the idea that it's, it's constitutional and it's, you know, it's, it's legitimate for Congress to pass laws that we all have to follow. From our standpoint, that's bullshit. But from the standpoint of a, you know, even like a patriot or a constitutionalist or someone who's going to lend credence to that. Well, looking at that, even by their own laws, even by their own fraudulent laws, the income tax is a fraud. So the election is analogous to that. Okay. It's, it's a fraud on both levels. And they've just they've flagrantly basically said, look, this guy was fucking up our apple cart and giving us the finger. And that's why for every single... I think that there was a Lou Rockwell article, lourockwell.com article. I forget who wrote it. It might have been Thomas DiLorenzo. I'm not certain. I'd have to go back and look at it. It was very short, but it was very well done. And it quoted a lot of things that Trump said right at his inauguration back in 2017. And from that point forward, every waking moment of every fucking day, right up until the, just a couple of days ago, they 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 relentlessly went after him with everything they had because they saw that there was a guy in there who wasn't going to play on the same team as them and who was basically, and I mean, and tr- what Trump did was so modest. It was just such a slight degree of reform. It wasn't Mm. even really anything substantial when you come right down to it. It wasn't really a lot, but it was that he was calling things out and pointing things out publicly that no president in, in my lifetime and probably not for generations before me had ever done. You know, basically saying the media are a bunch of liars. They're a bunch of propagandists. And these people in Washington, they don't care about the average working person. They only care about themselves. It's a swamp. It's a cesspool. And he just kept hammering them that way. So even if there wasn't a lot of political substance behind what he did, what he actually tangibly did, you know, cutting regulations and taxes and, you know, at least mouthing support for the Second Amendment, even though he introduced the bump stock ban and, you know, other things, it was more kind of the fact that he was there from his bully pulpit. Calling these people out and just saying, you're a bunch of liars. You're a bunch of propagandists. You're only in the game for yourself. You don't care about the average person. And I'm going to try to change that. And that sent them into a mindless fury for four years. And if, if there's anything that I can really extend my, you know, tip my hat off to Trump for, it was at least that alone that he pulled the wool over their eyes. He beat them at their own game when Hillary Clinton was supposed to have an easy win. He caught them asleep at the switch. He had enough money and enough savvy, enough public relations savvy to, to beat these bastards and actually get in there against all expectations and against all odds. And for four years, agitate the fuck out of these people. And I, I there is at least a sense of satisfaction in that, that he was at least able to do that. He was at least able to poke a broomstick into that hornet's nest and say, fuck you. (laughs) You know, I, I, I don't know. I think, I think it, I think it was a good thing. Now the backlash, you can argue that, okay, because he did that, now they're mad as hell and they're going to lash out against everyone. You saw John Brennan just today, either today or yesterday say, well, you know, there need to be investigations of patriot groups and white supremacists and even libertarians. And they need to be investigated and we need to figure out who these people are and round them up and put them under watch and everything. It's like going back to the Pro of the 1960s, um, but not that they've ever really stopped doing that. The NSA is spying on this very conversation as we speak, not maybe not actively, but they're recording it in some capacity. And I think it's right yeah. there in Utah, as a matter of fact. So it is, know, yeah. there we go. Yeah. So yeah, you know, so I, I mean, you know, I'm not trying to say that, you know, Trump was some kind of a, a savior or he was salvation or he was going to change the world or anything. I, I think, and I, I have an article which frustratingly, uh, Rob at strike the root.com has not edited and, and well, not edited, but hasn't published yet. I, in fact, I just reminded him about it today, but I, I emailed it to him back last Sunday. He doesn't always get to things right away. Where I explain a little bit more on what I'm talking about right now, but it was, it was, you know, really what Trump showed us is that his quest was predictably quixotic. It was predictably perhaps even a bit naive, uh, and probably more than just a little bit egotistical on his part to think that one guy could get in there and, 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 and create all the changes that he wanted to create. And he did do a few. He did, he did a modicum of it. But I, I think his one, main legacy is going to be that he has shown once and for all time that the system cannot be reformed because the people who comprise it will not allow it to be. And he he forced their hand. He made them expose themselves. He drew them out into the open because now even the village idiot can see that when they don't like the result or the potential result, they're going to change the rules of the game. They're going to they're going to they're going to make sure that the end result is the way they want it to be from here on forward. I mean, maybe somebody might pull off what Trump pulled off in another 100 years once this history is all kind of forgotten and everybody involved in the current system is dead and buried. Uh, but that's even assuming that there is a United States of America in 100 years, which is a very, very big presumption in my view. Yeah, um, I was going to say. But, but uh, I think, you know, uh, they, we will never in our lifetime see another president like Trump. Some people are going, yeah, oh, that's a good thing. But we will never see another president that tries to tip the apple cart ever again. They're all going to be globalist New World Order advocates like Joe Biden. They're all going to be just, just hissing demonic monsters that, that that only care about the preserving the system, making communist China the next major world power, destroying the United States economy, taking away freedom of speech, taking away the right to keep and bear arms. They're never, never going to stop now. And they're on a ramp. Uh, and those are my thoughts, and that's why I, like yourself, I'm feeling probably even more pessimistic than you are. And I, although I don't presume to speak for you, but uh, I, I have a much, much darker perspective on where we're. I, I don't, I don't like it at all where we're going. I, I have a very bad feeling about.
0: it. Well, yeah, yeah. I guess I don't know. Let's talk silver linings a minute. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I hope that enough people. Or s- some people, some some amount of people saw how relentless the press was, mm-hmm. uh, following Trump around and and doing everything they can to make him look bad. Uh-huh. That now that that's going to stop, right? Just like just like Trump is cut off from Twitter and us having to hear from him, it will probably be true that the media, the press, so called, will be will be will cut themselves off from their relentless attacks on the president of the United States. And I hope that there are people that will see that as an obvious double standard Mm -hmm. and will lose, you know, will lose that much more faith in the press, the the so-called, what do they call it? The fourth estate, which isn't really what it should be. Um, And maybe that'll, maybe that'll produce some positive changes down the line. You know, maybe, maybe there will be, Places like Substack and other places where real journalists will continue to put the hammer on the executive, regardless of who you know which party he belongs to, and their voices will be protected through some of these decentralized or distributed um, outlets. And you know those people who are fed up with the press will find that stuff, and it will make them more distrustful of the executive. You know what I mean? Like, I, I liked seeing for four years, I liked seeing the pressure on the president. Uh, that's what they should do every every day there should be that against the president. You know what I mean? He should, he should constantly be on his back foot defending himself in every action he does. They should constantly be trying to make him look like an asshole. But now that's going to stop because, you know, Grandpa Joe's in there.
1: Right. And th- and that's that's precisely my point. It, it's I don't necessarily disagree with your premise. The problem is that the reality is that given the, the, what passes for the press in this country, which is really just a big propaganda series of unified propaganda outlet, um, inc- and that includes, you know, most of the major social media, you know, so-called big tech platform. Uh, it was it was the reason why they went after Trump. They went after Trump Because I think he honestly wanted to change the Washington culture. He wanted to change the experience or the relationship of the average person to government. And he wanted to, he wanted to try to rid the federal government in Washington of, of a lot of these really nasty sons, sons and daughters of bitches and bastards who just use it for their own self-emolument and could give a flying fuck about you or I or our rights or our freedoms or anything I don't think Trump ran for for president because he uh, you know for the same reason that a lot of these other people want to be president I, I he's certainly narcissistic he's certainly egotistical yes I mean there's no question about that but as I said before I don't believe that he was tr- that he's a truly sociopathic guy okay? I think he honestly did enter into this thinking that somebody has to come forward and that somebody's going to be me to to try to rescue this situation before this country is taxed and regulated and sold out and just obliterated and just a shell of its former self and communist China takes over the world as the as the as the undisputed economic and military leader which they're now on track to do. Thanks to Joe Biden, who might as well just be a communist spy for the for the most part, he might as well just be a Chinese communist agent. Um, and that was what I think he tried to accomplish. And it was quixotic, it was naive, and it was egotistical. No question about that. I don't think though that it displays him. Uh, I, I don't think it makes him a sociopath. Okay, I think it makes him maybe kind of presumptuous. And I think he's probably he probably has a much different perspective on what he tried to do. Now that he did when he started his ego and his narcissism notwithstanding. Okay. But he is not the kind of monster that Joe Biden is the kind of monster that Kamala Harris is. Okay. The kind of monster that even Barack Obama was. Okay. He's not in that league. He was a guy that came to the table with, I think, considerably more noble intentions than those people. And I have to at least respect him for that even if there are other ways in which we could level a lot of criticism against him, we could certainly throw rocks at him. Sure. Sure. We could. Okay. But we will never see anyone that even goes as far as he did ever again. And there certainly has been no one like that in my lifetime, which goes back to, you know, Richard Nixon, no one, not even Reagan was, was, you know, pushed that hard and really got in their faces for four years and, and just called them out and just said, you know, that what you got, you know, and sometimes even literally said, this is bullshit. You know, I mean, he wasn't even afraid to use that word. Uh, I have to respect that. I have to respect that as, 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 as minuscule and as frail as it might be after he was only able to, you know, have four years and he was only one guy and a lot of people didn't even carry out his directives. And I mean, it was, he, he was, he was hobbled and, and shackled and, and held down in a thousand different ways. But the fact that he got into that arena and, and fought the fight that he did on the level that he did, my, my hat goes off to the guy, my hat goes off to the guy. I really have to say, uh, you know, I, I do not, I do, I, I more respect what he did than I disparage it. And that even comes from a, from a voluntarist standpoint. I still have to, I still have to admire his, his, uh, his panache, as it were, you know, to his, his gumption, to take on that fight and to go in there and call those people out and use his his position of prominence to say, look, you know, you people are out of control. You're not doing what is in the best interest of the average person. You're a bunch of liars. You're a bunch of propagandists. And fuck you. You know, I like that. I like that. Criticize my position all you want. I like the fact that he did that, and I I, I hope that that's remembered by history. That during his just one term. He was able to do that. And, you know, for, for a while, I mean, you know, I don't know that his movement, you know, the Trumpist or Trumpism movement or whatever you want to call it, I don't know that it will endure for, for very long. I mean, over time, it'll kind of dwindle and it'll kind of, you know, moderate into other things or whatever. But for a while, you know, for, for the next several years anyway, maybe for as long as the next decade or something, people are going to say, hey, you know, the press is crap. It's propaganda. It's bullshit. These people in Washington are a bunch of liars. They're a bunch of cheaters. They're a bunch of criminals. They're they're committing treason. They're committing, you know, whatever. I mean, place it in whatever terms you want to. You know, it, 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 people by and large are going to have a negative impression of these people. And I think the only people that have a favorable impression of anything at all right now are maybe members of the hard left or the hardcore Trump haters. And they're a very small minority Unlike what the press would have you believe, they're a very small minority of um, of Americans. And I, even like you know, even like Antifa and BLM, they're still rioting. They don't care that Joe Biden got elected. They don't. They're not, they're not in a love affair with him. They don't. They don't give a shit about him. So that's well, maybe a positive. You, that's did, a positive thing too.
0: Did you see? You so know? yeah, so they had their 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 protest slash riot there in Portland during the inauguration. Uh-huh. Yeah. And right after that, Twitter banned like four prominent Antifa accounts. It's almost like they're like – it's almost like Antifa and these people on the, this, this radical left have felt safe doing their Antifa thing online because Twitter hasn't come down on them. Right. But I think that they were only useful as a counter to the radical right and now that Biden is one, that, that moderate left – doesn't need them anymore, and so Twitter Precisely. just says "see you later," Precisely. which which really shows you that Twitter isn't Twitter isn't a, a radical left. It it is a it is a moderate Democrat left type of thing. And I don't know, maybe maybe they would call themselves centrists. You know, maybe they would call themselves you know middle ground and you know the uh, the rational the rational left or whatever. Well, um, I think yeah, I and think plenty of just, people will be fooled.
1: I think they're just establishment. Period.
0: Yeah, there you establishment go. Establishment, left, yeah.
1: You know, yeah. And and so, you know, t- you're right. You're you're precisely correct in in that in that Antifa and BLM were useful tools during the time of Trump. They tolerated them and left them alone and just let them riot and 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 burn buildings down and smash windows and whatever they wanted to do. Now that that's no longer a danger, now that that's no longer a factor, now they're going to crack down and and because now they can't they probably feel like, well, if we allow them to continue to have this platform in this atmosphere and, you know, now we're going to be seen as being way to the left of where Biden is. And we want to more align ourselves with wherever Biden and wherever Kamala Harris, goes, you know, so they, they want they want, the, the, you know, it's, it's all about, you know, shifting their barometer, you know, to wherever they think, you know, is going to gain them the, the largest number of leftist adherents or left leaning adherence. It's kind of like, you know, like Glenn Beck, who stands for nothing whatsoever. He's just a chameleon, right? I mean, he just he shifts his position based on whatever he thinks is going to make him the most money, whatever is going to give him the widest appeal, but it's always within kind of like a right-wing pseudo-libertarian, you know, mm. kind of realm and and just whatever, you know, however he feels the market is, you know, he'll say one thing and then he'll, you know, 5 minutes later he'll say another. It's it's that kind of a thing. Although as a result, I think he screwed himself because I, I never even hear or see him hear about a see him anymore. And I you know, I don't know anybody that even listens to him or pays attention to him. I think a lot of people eventually found out that or, you know, determined with enough time that, you know, he 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 he's not he doesn't really stand for anything, you know. And uh it's kind of like in the libertarian realm, Stefan Molyneux, you know, is another person uh who I, I met in person uh one at one time, you know, back when he was still Pretty fairly rational. You know, he's, he's since shifted his position numerous times and it's kind of hard to see where he stands. Most recently, I happened to watch a video that he put out on Rumble because he's been kicked off of YouTube and deplatformed along with all these other, you know, a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. It's more kind of like the old Stefan, but he's still in a state of apologism for some positions that he's kind of taken in the interim. Um, and hasn't completely disavowed or walked away from a lot of it. I, I don't really want to come down too hard on the guy because, uh, where he is right now seems to, he, se- he seems to have kind of at least semi justified his position to a degree, even if I don't completely agree with it. I just think it was foolish for him to kind of backpedal, uh, like that and say, well, okay, you know, but in order to get to point A, we have to go through. Points B, C, and D. We can't just go directly to, um, you know. And he gets into all of this, all of this unnecessarily controversial stuff that really just doesn't reflect well on him. So I mean, even if, even if at the end of the day he can, he can, he can kind of justify his his position to a degree, and he's kind of maybe moderated it a little bit it still was not a wise thing and it really casts him in a, in a bad light. And he's I used to listen to him. I don't really listen to anymore because yeah, same. I'm not as interested in what he has to say anymore, you know, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, but back when I met him at pork fest in Lancaster, New Hampshire in 2010, that was, yeah, almost, well, this summer it'll be 11 years, 10 and a half years. And I also, I was there with Mark Stevens and Larkin Rose and a, a couple of other big names. I was, Right on a panel with them. In fact, I think you can still see it on YouTube. I was a lot more fat and my hair was a lot longer back then. <laughs> but, uh, uh, he was, you know, he, he seemed like a good guy. Um, but he was, he was very, uh, he struck me as kind of being kind of cold, you know, very kind of cold and maybe even a little abrasive, uh, personality wise. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's so what? I mean, every, yeah, his personality is his personality, but, uh, you know, uh, and I'm not trying to Monday morning quarterback here, a painter. A negative impression of him, but yeah, he just seemed to be kind of a, uh, you know, kind of very quick to become irritated. You know, um, maybe, he was I, on,
0: maybe he was on I, something. I was,
1: I, I, yeah, I was coming out of a building, and it was actually the studio where we were held holding the conference, or it had been made into a studio. And I came out the door, and I was just walking out the door, and he was just walking in. I almost ran into him. I said, "Hey, Stefan!" Like that, you know, kind of with like a friendly smile, and he just kind of, you know, gave me kind of like a glare and kind of walked away. And then someone later on said, Hey, Stefan's out there, Alex, would you mind going out there and just asking him if he's going to be part of this? You know, they were getting, we were getting ready to film kind of like a debate type thing. And I went out there and I, I just, I said, Hey, Stefan, you know, I just, we only got a few minutes. Do you want to be part of this like that? And he just looked at me and just said, you know, like, no, you know, like that. And he said, uh, but you know, come back and ask me, uh, you know, in about maybe 20 minutes and then, then we'll do it. Almost kind of like I was unfairly imposing on him or something at the moment. It was just like, okay, man, you don't have to get abrasive. I'm just asking you a polite question. If you,
0: yeah, you're the messenger. (laughs) (laughs) What's that? You were the messenger.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, you know, I was the weatherman for all intents and purposes, and I wasn't even telling you there was a hurricane. I'm just telling you, you know, it's, you know, it's going to be a nice day out. You want to come out and, you know, enjoy it. I mean, you know, that kind of analogy. So, um, I don't, I don't know. You know, I mean, it was, you know just kind of some minor observations but on the on the other side of things you know Larkin was a really nice guy you know he was he was really you know uh uh you know jovial and and easy to get along with and you know pretty much always had a smile and you know he was he was a good guy i i don't have didn't really come away with any kind of strange impressions of him at all and uh, of course Mark Stevens you know i i used to go on his show a lot too um you know uh way back in the day i haven't been on in and i don't know how long cuz he's he's kind of shifted his focus over time. You know, he's more kind of hands-on let's go to court and challenge, you know, these traffic tickets and stuff. So it's, it's yeah. a little bit, it's not as much of kind of an open forum like this is, you know, yeah. uh these days. So it's, it's kind of uh transmogrified over time. So I, I'm not on as much, but uh I miss going on his show. Cause he, he's, he's a good guy too. He was a really, he's a really good guy.
0: So let's jump over here. I've got, I don't know. I made a couple of, Thought experiments or questions, I guess, Mm -hmm. that I thought might be fun. Let me – I'm actually going to start with the second one because it's related to – I guess it's related to Trump. So I'm going to read this and then you you give me your stream of consciousness. Okay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Consider the January 6th Capitol riot as an anarchist. The Capitol was partly built with slave labor, making it a monument to slavery. Since then, it has been maintained through federal extortion of the American people – Also, it has been used to design the continual violations of life, liberty, and property of Americans and the world. If any building is without merit to stay standing, surely it's the U.S. Capitol building. Does it follow from these facts that the American people may, as a matter of justice, riot at the Capitol as they please, even to the point of leveling it completely?
1: Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I I mean, if you especially if you're just talking about the building itself, I mean, this inanimate structure. Absolutely. Yeah. Burn the goddamn thing to the ground. Let's do the same thing the British did in 1812 to the White House. You know, just uh, I mean, trash it. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem with that. I I think that they were actually I mean, it was a relatively mild riot. Uh, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm even kind of loath to call it a riot. In fact, most of the violence was the, were the security guards inside the Senate chamber who shot that, uh, that woman, shot her in the neck and killed her at almost point blank range with a pistol. Um, you know, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't, you know, and then you had like these Q guys that were dressed in these weird costumes or anything. And one cop comes into the Senate chamber and says, guys, could I really ask you to leave? I mean, this is the most sacred place he says, or it's the sacredest place. And and my thought is like, yeah, if you're a Satan worshiper, maybe it is, you know, um, but <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, uh, but, but, and that was it. And then they said a prayer, they said some like kind of new age prayer or something, and then they left and that was it. I mean, it wasn't like they went in there with, you know, AR 15s and AKs and just shot the place up. But if they had hey, you know, so much the better. I don't, yeah, I don't. I mean, especially if you're just if you're just talking about the structure, you're not even talking about injury to people. Yeah, go in there and just douse the place with gasoline and burn it to the ground. You know what the hell? I mean, I, you know, I, I wouldn't be sorry to see it go. Yeah,
0: i i I think it. I think it. The reaction to it has really has really has revealed further revealed, of course, you know, the press and the media's leftist bias because they were. They were. They were praising it as some sort of sacred and holy site and how this was beyond the pale. But then all throughout the summer, all of the, the private businesses that were, you know, attacked and looted and burned to the ground, uh, like, like the one thing in, in Wisconsin with the whole car dealership was burned to the ground that the, the Kyle Rittenhouse fellow was involved with. Um, it, it, you know, all of that was like seemingly okay. They, they insisted on calling those protests mostly peaceful.
1: Yeah, well, but well, then but a, then
0: there's there's, there's, there's this back monument back. to slavery that's being breached, and all of a sudden it's an insurrection, a coup. It's sacred. It's the worst thing in the world. It's you know Donald. Yeah, they should all be charged with treason.
1: I mean, come on. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that that instance that you were just talking about when you know the car dealership is burning, and you had that that black news reporter out in front. Not that his racial character really matters, but I mean, it, you know, you have him out in front of this huge fire, you know, reporting and just and just saying, oh, well, you know, it's it's been a mostly peaceful protest. Meanwhile, in the background, the whole city's burning to the yeah. fucking ground. <laughs> you know, I mean, come on. You know, and, and but yet then they turn around and they say that, you know, a bunch of Yahoos that, you know, that dressed in weird costumes that kind of just gently go into the Senate chamber with some flags and stuff. Oh, that's 9-11. It's Pearl Harbor all over again. It's oh But what it is, is that these these fucking people that occupy that building are such stick up their ass, pompous, spoiled, rotten, little fucking babies, okay? that have been placed in this exalted position because of this asinine system that they're a part of. They're completely corrupt. They're total criminals. They're total megalomaniacs, they're total sociopaths and any tiny little affront to them at all they see as like the end of the world yeah they fly into a rage and what does a sociopath do when they're confronted when someone says fuck you you're not gonna get what you want you spoiled rotten asshole they flip out right
0: yeah they, 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 they play the victim out, they lose yeah
1: their shit like like it's the end of the world like how the fuck could you ever ever do something like that to me you know that because this is the opinion these people have of themselves they're psychopaths
0: yeah yeah, it, it's 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 actually kind of been it's kind of felt good to drive around downtown Salt Lake City. Is the capital? There's a lot of government buildings. There's court buildings. There's county buildings. There's Utah Capitol building, and everything's been boarded up. Like all the 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 ground level windows have plywood in front of them. And I'm thinking, great, keep them that way. They look yeah. they look hideous, and they should look hideous. Yeah. They shouldn't be these grand secular temples that are beautiful and and make us feel like we're being you know watched by you know gods <laughs> of democracy yeah. and whatnot which is the design right. which is why they use the big the marble and all the stuff
1: Oh absolutely sure
0: So yeah I mean I'm just like keep I hope they keep the plywood there you know I hope they yeah. keep them looking hideous
1: Yeah yeah exactly and and it's also I think the other the, the other satisfaction is it harkens back to what I said earlier about, you know, Trump's presence in the White House for four years. It makes them feel like they're under a state of siege. Now, that makes them more dangerous. OK, but it's, you know, it harkens back to, you know, Tom, what did Thomas Jefferson say? When the people fear the government, you know, there's tyranny. When the government fears the people, there's liberty. Now, that's misplaced. <laughs> when there's no government, there's liberty. When the people, when the, when the government fears the people, there's maybe a little more liberty but there's never really liberty as long as there is government. So Jefferson didn't quite get it right. If he had lived a little bit longer, maybe he would have because he was tinkering with the idea of of an anarchism uh t- but towards the end of his life but you know at the time that he died it was still a few decades before the first major anarchist theory was published like Lysander Spooner like um uh oh, why can't I, uh Gustav de Molinari um, yeah. he missed that. He missed that stuff by maybe about 40 years or so. So, but it, so in his time, it was just a kind of a vague ancient Greek concept. Uh, but he was thinking about maybe factoring it in because he was beginning to see towards the end of his life that, uh, you know, this, this thing that we set up maybe isn't really working all that well. And that was way back then in, you know, 1810.
0: Yeah.
1: So imagine if, imagine if he could see it today, he'd, he'd be like, fuck this. We may, we fucked up. We made a mistake. You know, of course, no. probably you know people like John Adams or someone would be like, "Oh well, we can still fix it," you know. And so the the the, the, the same perceptions existed even back then.
0: Okay, here's the next one, and I don't know it's it it, it kind of plays in the in the statist sandbox a little bit, so bear with me. All right, you're on a jury. The defendant is so unpopular that his acquittal is guaranteed to cause mass nationwide protests and rioting. Think of Derek Chauvin. Okay. New evidence is presented that makes it fairly clear that the defendant is not guilty beyond a reasonable doubt. Is it your responsibility to consider the fallout from acquittal when voting on the defendant's guilt?
1: Repeat just that last sentence. Is it your responsibility,
0: however you take that, moral responsibility, you know, whatever. Right. Whatever that means to you. Mm-hmm. To consider the fallout from acquittal when voting on the defendant's guilt. In other words, if his acquittal means that cities across the country are going to erupt as they probably would with a Derek Chauvin, mm-hmm. the George Floyd cop. Yeah. Would would you, Alex Knight, if you're presented with this new evidence that you know the public hasn't seen, but but shows that Derek Chauvin, um, I guess we'll just, we'll just take, we'll just take this as the example, was operating as he was trained to do by his superiors, right? He was, he was doing everything exactly by the book. The book just happens to say you need to put your, your knee on their neck. And it turns out that George Floyd probably would have survived if it wasn't for the elevated levels of fentanyl in his system. So in that sense, Derek Chauvin may not actually be responsible for killing him. It's more a circumstantial thing. It's more he was operating based on his training. Mm -hmm. So if anybody's guilty, it's, you know, the broader system, which, of course, it's guilty. Right. But not him. Right. But you know that uh, considering this evidence and saying not guilty to the specific charge that he's, you know, a racist, murderous monster alone would cause the nation to erupt and further destruction and damage you know all over the place right right do you think that you would vote to acquit or vote to convict
1: i I would i would vote strictly based on the evidence i mean that the your question is is you know i i i'm not going to consider consequentialism beyond the the facts of the case to to hell and be damned i mean if a hundred cities go up in mushroom clouds i don't care I'm only interested in the facts and the evidence in that case, okay? what? And I'm interested in, to the best of my ability, determining what is justice on the basis of the individual facts of that individual case of what happened between Chauvin and and George Floyd. End of story. I'm not interested in anything else. Because now you say, oh, well, you know, that's, that's like saying, that's literally like, I think that's like what the Supreme Court said when they refused to hear the election fraud lawsuits that were, that were brought before them were regarding Trump. They were probably like, Oh, you know, this is going to cause such uproar and so many riots and stuff. We just can't hear this case. That's bullshit. Is that what they said? Okay. That's, well, I, I think that's probably what happened. I mean, that's okay. what a lot yeah. of people have divined. Based on the on the idea that's allegedly there are sources who say that's allegedly what Roberts, you know, one of the judges on the Supreme Court had to say. He's the senior judge now. He's got the, you know, the greatest seniority on that court. There's a lot of people who say that that's exactly the position that he took was if we if we if we hear this case. And I think that was probably the case with all the the courts in the entire country that refused to hear these cases. Remember, all of them were rejected, not on the basis of lack of evidence. There were mountains of evidence. It was all rejected on the basis of procedural claims. Oh, you don't have standing. Oh, we can't hear this case because we don't have jurisdiction. Oh, they, they used every excuse to not open the can and see what was in the can. They yeah. made every excuse to say, we're not going to open this fucking can. We're going to push the can back at you, un, 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 unopened and still sealed. Because they knew as soon as they did open it up, Everything was going to start coming out about the ballot stuffing, the electronic voting machines, the the ballots that were thrown away, truckloads of phony ballots that were picked up in a parking lot in Pennsylvania, everything, the whole nine yards was going to come out and they didn't want that to happen. All these judges, just like in an income tax case, once again, analogous to the income tax, these judges will not hear the facts because that brings the whole fucking system down. And they will not hear the facts. They use every excuse to deflect the facts away. OK, and they do it a lot of times on the bait. Well, a lot of times they're probably directly threatened. They pro- or they have people saying, look, if you don't hear this case, you'll have a nice cushy career regardless of the political changes and nothing bad will happen to you. If you go ahead and hear this case, maybe they don't actually spell this out for them, but they know what the score is, you know. Not only will you be expelled from this career, you're going to be in trouble in your family probably. Okay. That's the way these people routinely do things. That's, let's not be naive. Okay. That's, that's what routinely goes on behind the scenes in government. When these people, when these judges or people that get into influential positions, the politicians, bureaucrats running all these alphabet soup agencies, they're under the gun from outside once you decide to play in the devil's den you're playing by the devil's rules and these people are routinely intimidated threatened probably any time that it looks like they're going to step out of line or any time that they might potentially step out of line when there's when there's enough at stake okay they have guns to their heads you know that might not be there 24/7 all the time but when when something comes along where the stakes are high enough when it's When it's a, you know, when it, when it means the difference between Trump winning in a 350 to 400 electoral vote landslide and Joe Biden pushing him out of there and getting the new world order and the globalists back on track and and getting the whole cushy little system back on track, you can rest goddamn well assured that the guns are going to come out and that people are going to be threatened and intimidated behind the scenes and told to shut up about it. And not go to the media. And I mean, the media won't even cover it. They're on the take, too. They've got the whole system wrapped up. And then anytime anyone tries to expose something or, you know, uh, um, uh, put forward some other kind of narrative. Uh, it's 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 just it it's sidelined as conspiracy theory. Oh yeah, well you know you heard that on Newsmax, or you heard that on OAN or Right Side Broadcasting put that out. Or that was on Infowars, you know, or Natural News. Who pays attention to that? Those crazy lunatics, you know, and or or, or you know or, or it was on you know I heard it on the on on the skylar Collins Everything Voluntary podcast, whatever. You know, they sideline it. They they push it away. They say it's just a fringe element thing. It's a bunch of lunatic conspiracy theorists. And we're not going to entertain that because all the real deal is on CNN. All the real deal is on MSNBC. The real deal, you want real news, it's on ABC News. And that's legitimate. That's mainstream. That's what rational people look at and, and get that's where they get their information and if you don't believe what the reporters and the politicians are telling you, well, then you're just an unreasonable lunatic fringe conspiracy theorist out, you know, smoking dope with Alex Jones and Joe Rogan. Or you know, <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, that's how it's portrayed. And most people, unfortunately, in our society still eat that shit up.
0: There's a, even, you know, there's this podcast. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's called the quash. Have you heard this?
1: I have not heard of that one.
0: It's by this. No this guy who calls himself legal man. And, you know, he's he's one of us. <laughs> one of us. He's in our tribe. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's been a lawyer for 30 years or whatever, but he uses a pseudonym, I guess, just to protect himself. But, you know, it, his episodes are mostly the same thing. So I usually get five, 10 minutes in and I'm like, okay, he's just ranting about the same thing. And I, I just delete and go to the next one because I've got 30 episodes in front. But one of the points he likes to make which I hadn't heard until I heard, you know, a, a seasoned lawyer talking about this stuff was that none of these people are being um, put under oath and cross examined. None of them are being put under oath. They, they stand up there in front of the press. They make their claims or they stand up in front of, you know, on the, uh, in front of the cameras, whether it's in a, on a debate or whether it's, you know, a press briefing. They make their claims. They're not put under oath. And they're not cross-examined by sharks who want to get – who want to actually trap them and show them as peddling bullshit. And it it kind of that, – that's one point he makes. The other point he makes is none of these people have any skin in the game. None of these people who who fuck with us and with our lives and our livelihoods are actually liable for anything that they do. They have no skin in the game. They can get up there. They can say bullshit. They're not cross-examined. They're not put under oath. They can make changes that have the force of law. They can fuck up people's lives and nothing happens to them when they're wrong. Yeah. And making those two points, I think, can go a long way to really getting people to to see the whole system the way we see it, that it's just a grift. It's just a con.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Anyway. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, you know that reminds me of uh, in my own personal experience. Many years ago, I went to uh, to a meeting with a uh, with an IRS revenue officer, and I had an affidavit there where I was sworn in under oath. And I had a court reporter right there who was authorized to swear him in. And I slid the document right across the table to him, and we were right on tape. I had a court reporter, I had a witness, I had a tape recorder. I had everything right there. And I said, well, you know, Mr. Blaze, I'm, I'm willing to go. And that probably wasn't even his real name, but his, uh, but, but, you know, because they were allowed to use pseudonyms and he, I'm sure he had a phony ID and everything. This yeah. guy was, this guy was just like, a, I mean, I, how would I even describe him? Just like a soulless robot was, was exactly the impression that I have him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, just, I mean, just, just this vapid monster. And I slid the, the document across to him. I said, I said, you know, well, okay, let's, you know, if that's your contention, Mr. Blaze, you know, how about if I swear you in right now? We'll have the court reporter swear you in. There's a document, you know, it's 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 got this the state of New Hampshire seal on it. Let's, you know, have you sworn in under oath? Oh, no, 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 no. no. Just pushes it back at me. Well, why not, Mr. Blaze? You know, I knew he was going to do that. Yeah. But I said, why not, Mr. Blaze? Why? I'm under oath right now. I'm willing to go under oath. I'm under oath right now. I placed myself under oath. I'm telling you the truth. And he would not do it. He just was just dismissed it. Pushed it away. He wouldn't do it, and yeah. that's a guy that that knew that he had the system in his back pocket anyway, and he still wouldn't go under oath, even with the knowledge that had I taken that into a courtroom, it probably wouldn't have meant two shits anyway. The yeah. judge probably would have kicked it out, and then probably throw, hit me with a contempt of court charge for even <laughs> having the temerity yeah. to challenge the fucking IRS. You know, <laughs> and, and this and this guy still wouldn't do it. Okay, that shows you what these people are like. There, I mean. At, at root, they're a bunch of fucking cowards. And, it's, and it sickens me to my stomach that we, we live in a society where there's maybe like three million of these motherfuckers out there, meaning federal government employees, or maybe just government employees in general. And here we are, a country of 350 million people, and we cower to, the, to these bastards, and we pay taxes, and we obey their friggin' laws, and we do what they say. How mm-hmm. is that possible? You How know, is that possible other than just so conditioning? It, it, it
0: psychological speaks to, it speaks to character. And maybe we need to do a better job of make, you know, of talking about this, but it speaks to character when somebody is willing to take the position of interfering in other people's lives with potentially with violence and Allowing themselves not to be held liable for that, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like if, if if I take the position, I know that I can I can fuck with you, and I can't be held liable for that personally. What does that say about me? Yeah. Right. There's this yeah. idea, you know. People like to talk about, and I, I think for libertarians, a lot of libertarians I know that hear this and some not. It's it's kind of it's kind of a matter of PR, but a lot of them like like to say, you know, not all cops are bad. But when you consider the character, the type of character it takes to willingly take on that role right. of interferer in other people's lives with violence yeah. and skirt liability for the consequences of that, maybe you're not a good person.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Completely valid point, you know? And I've had debates with similar-minded people, you know, people that are in like the Patriot community or, you know, like, like infowars type people and things that you try to bring that to their attention and you just can't get anywhere with them in, 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 in making exactly the point that you just made, you know, about, about cops and police and the mentality of that. Oh, they're not all bad people. Some people think it's a noble thing and you can't just paint people with a broad brush like that. And, you know, now there are people that eventually end up like you know, like your friend Shepard. Okay, you know, who I think now is I think he's involved with Dave Scotties in the Voluntarius newsletter. Now that he Carl Wagner's got, I saw yeah. his name in the new. You know, I got an email just before you sent through the Zoom meeting. Actually,
0: yeah, I got that you email too. To
1: have that right there. Um. So so you know that's a success story. I mean that's a that's an awesome story, and that he went from his background to being the person that he is now. So I guess, you know, I mean, uh, you know, you and I do need to maybe kind of lighten up a little bit on that. I mean, a a little bit. But he is a rare exception, I think. I mean, he's like probably almost like a lottery winner, you know, in terms of rarity uh, versus the average person who goes into law enforcement.
0: Um, I mean, cops are most cops are very quick to defend the the practice. Of qualified immunity, right? They're very quick to defend the shirking of liability and responsibility for their decisions. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, maybe we can develop the rhetoric when when talking to these people or their supporters that you know, kind of around that idea of why why should you have qualified immunity? You're interfering in people's lives. We're not allowed to do that. If I interfere in somebody's life and I I damage them in some way. I'm held, and I should be held liable for that because I don't have a right to do that. Right, right. right. So why, no. why should you? You know, I, they, I, th-
1: I think you know. Their, their instant reaction is going to be, well, if it wasn't for that, like no one would want to do this job. Well, okay, then maybe your job should not be what it is. Okay, right. So that can that can if, move if, in that direction. Was, of,
0: maybe that maybe your job should be something else. Maybe there's ways we can move from what you do now. With law enforcement to maybe what you thought you were going to do when you signed up 20 years ago or 10 years ago. And that is simply peacekeeping, being the good guy, being the hero, saving people. That's, that was my motivation when I was 18 years old and I decided that I wanted to be a cop. I did security. I met my wife. I got a different job out of that. And then it was shortly after that, I became a libertarian. I never, I never looked back. I I just, I realized how much money they made and it was crap. So I didn't, I didn't want to do that. But it's it's like a lot of these guys, and we we've got to prey on that. A lot of these guys did have these really truly noble intentions at the beginning, and then they get corrupted. So we've got to peel that back, maybe, and, and get them I, thinking. I, about
1: yeah, it. I think maybe one of the keys to that is that is that when they when they those people that you're talking about who do that. They, I think they know in the back of their mind. Well, in addition to you know stopping robbers and stopping murderers and stopping you know violent people and stuff and thieves and everything, yeah, there's going to be some stuff that I'm going to be ordered to do and required to do that doesn't fall into that heading. And they kind of just dismiss it. They kind of, you know, they kind of, they kind of push that away. Like, yeah, I'm going to have to go out in the woods and bust a bunch of kids that are drinking beer around a campfire. Yeah, I'm going to have to, you know. Be an asshole to some, you know, old, old man that, that happens to be going too slow in the middle of the street in the middle of the afternoon or something, you know, but you, we, we, you have, what I think we might want to do is say to these people, look, it's, it's not this insignificant detail that you're going to have to do. That's going to be the majority of what you're going to be doing. Okay. You, you'll be lucky if in 10 years of policing, you know, you, you cover, you know, depending upon where you are. I mean, I guess if you're in Chicago or something, it's going to be different than if you're in, you know, Podunk, Missouri or something. But, you know, uh, uh, you know, it could be years, maybe never that you're asked to, you know, go and intervene in a robbery or a burglary or, a, you know, some kind of a legitimate crime. Most of what you're going to be doing throughout your career is assholing people over minor bullshit that they shouldn't even be bothered about. Whether it's smoking a joint or it's going, you know, 10 miles an hour over the speed limit or it's, uh, loitering on a street corner or something or whatever the fuck it is. You, you're just, you know, most of what you're going to be doing is harassing people, t- impinging upon their liberty, you know, instead of actually going after security, re- legitimate security related, uh, crimes having to do with person and property. And so is it really worth 85 to 90% of everything you do is just being a fucking asshole, okay, and a tyrant, and maybe 10% or 15% of what you do actually going after legitimate crime. Maybe you, you, you might want to be a security guard instead. Maybe you might want to start a security company or something. That might be a better use of your time and talent and initiative is to do something that actually does help people instead of just being a fucking prick who carries out the edicts of politicians. Because that's all you're doing. You're just carrying out the edicts of politicians.
0: You well, know? yeah. Same thing. They...
1: Same thing. Same thing with military. Okay. You know. Yeah. You're defending the country, quote unquote, in 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 a case of invasion. The risk of that is exceedingly low, given given America's vast military supremacy. So what you're probably going to be used is as a pawn. To go overseas, especially with Joe Biden now in office, it was a little bit diminished with Trump. Now it's going to expand in Syria and other places all over again. Okay, you're going to be used as a pawn for the politicians to go and and project American military force around the world for their own selfish fucking objectives and to make bankers richer and to make oil companies richer. Is that what you fucking want? I can understand. Yeah, you love to put on that uniform and you get the training and you get the the high protein food and you get the prestige and you you carry around your assault rifle and it's all it's it's all the gear and everything. Oh, yeah, man, that's dude. great. Yeah. But you can buy most of that stuff and go out at, with your buddies in the woods and, and and do that you know on your own if you want to. Without
0: paintball leagues, <laughs>
1: without helping Joe yeah. Biden, you know, kill people in in other countries. Yeah. You know, you know what I mean. So it's, it's the same kind of thing, but you're right. I, I think we do maybe need to, to deliver different mechanisms or different methods of waking people up to those facts. Because I think, I think people who go into, into police work and go into the military, they have a tendency to sideline those things and they only look at the, the positive rosy side of what they're doing or the noble side. Well, they're and I, I not think... looking at the other things.
0: Well, and, and, and they're, they're definitely propagandized too. They're definitely shown the horror cases, the, the, the lives that are destroyed by drugs, right? Like I, like I have, I have a cousin. My uncle was a highway patrol. My cousin, his two of his, so, two of three of his sons are highway patrol. And a few years ago, um, it may, it may have been my aunt or somebody put on Facebook a photo of him getting this drug interdiction award. And I said something like, you know, (laughs) something, something about how it's not really very noble or something like that, you know, kind of, kind of, I walked up to the line and kind of tripped over it a bit (laughs) and they, they weren't happy about that. And my mom was getting called and, you know, anyway. Um, But my cousin, I smoked weed with him when we were teenagers with him and my, we went to my sister's apartment. She was older and married and we smoked weed together. And I know he had smoked it a lot more than that. And then he, you know, and then he he becomes a cop and now he's hunting down marijuana possessors and dealers and whatever. So, it's I'm pretty sure that they're propagandized to in this way saying, look, these are the effects of drugs. We've got to get them off the streets, blah, 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 blah. And, you know, thankfully, there's been progress on that front. The war on drugs, the drugs are winning and you know the more the more states nullify and and cities nullify and the more we get characters yep. like i don't know if you listen to the reason interview but he just had this uh pharmacologist on who is very open about his own drug use including heroin and cocaine and he's like a chairman at harvard or something and he you know he talks about responsible drug use uh Carrie hart is his name he was on joe rogan also and i wow. it's great i'm like these conversations are going mainstream. This is this is fantastic.
1: Yeah. I agree. So,
0: you know, drugs are winning, which is good. And, you know, so there's going to be a change. But one of the points he was making <laughs> in the in the interview is that the entire war on drugs is, has really just been a jobs program. It's what it's been. Oh, sure. Intentionally, because there's scary. a lot of areas that were losing manufacturing and, you know, jobs were being replaced by cops and and bureaucrats and prosecutors and so on and so forth so and jails and prisons yeah (laughs) so
1: yeah i don't know i mean all all of the alcohol agents at the end of prohibition needed something else to do right when alcohol was re-legalized and you know back when prohibition ended so uh lo and behold wow just a few years later all of a sudden harry anslinger comes along in 1937 and says Marijuana is bad and it causes white women to want to sleep with, uh, Negroes and with, uh, yeah. Hispanics. And it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it makes people go in permanently insane and we need to get rid of it. And then kind of quietly at the same time, you know, they kind of made, you know, heroin and cocaine illegal. You used to be able to buy that at the drugstore. Yeah. It was off medicine and, and it was in Coca-Cola because, well, I mean, you probably already know. I mean, in Coca in, in Espanol means cocaine. <laughs> so.
0: So, so that's, that's been good. Um, I'll link to those, those interviews or at least the reason one, uh, Kerry Hart, I believe his name was, he's a,
1: yeah, that, that anyway. takes some, uh, that takes some cojones to, uh, to be, uh, actively employed at Harvard and to come out and well, that open a bit.
0: It, It's one of those, one of those universities. I don't know if it's Harvard yeah. but it's Harvard yeah. or Princeton it's, or something. Yeah. He's a chairman of the pharmacology, whatever. And, yeah, and his, his book that, that, which was the impetus for bringing him on the, the Reason interview podcast was, I think it's called, um, let me look it up.
1: I, I you know, I remember uh, reading a newspaper article. This is way back in the, I think it was in the 80s, where a, a professor at Harvard basically openly came out. And of course, this is, you know, before the internet. So it was just like in the regular print press and, and whatnot. Might've got on some radio or something. I don't know. But he basically came out and he was hosting all these underage parties, like right on campus. He was you know, all these like alcohol and and pot parties and stuff. And the, the, the faculty basically said, Hey, look, we know you're doing this and you need to stop. And he basically just openly told them like, fuck you. I'm just, I'm going to keep doing this. And I don't fear any of you. And you can all go fuck yourselves. We're going to keep drinking. We're going to keep smoking weed. We're going to keep having these big parties and there's not a fucking thing you can do about it. And I think they, you know, they did basically just fire him. They got rid of him. I mean, it cost him his job, but it was like, wow, this guy, like, just doesn't give a shit. You know, it was, it was, I, I remember laughing about it at the time, but I mean, at the time I thought it was really cool because I was a teenager and into all that kind of stuff. So I was like, wow, if I go to college, I, you know, I want this guy, I want this guy, you know, in charge of my class, but, uh, uh, uh
0: Columbia, it's car, it's Carl Hart. Okay. And he's the the Ziff right. Professor of Psychology in the Departments of Psychology and Psychiatry at Columbia. Okay, he's also well, a neuroscientist and a, and a neuropsychopharmacologist. <laughs> um, well, anyway. okay. I,
1: Columbia is in the same league as Harvard anyway. Harvard, Yale, Columbia. I mean, those are some – Yeah. Oh,
0: the book Yale. is Drug Use for I Grownups, Chasing Liberty in the Land of Fear. So, yeah. I'm like – this is amazing. He was on Rogan. Now he's yeah. on Reason. I'm just like – yeah. This conversation is becoming wider spread. So, you know, yeah. hey, yeah. silver linings for our current moment, I guess.
1: Yeah. Yeah. No, it is. It, it definitely is. That is one area where I think, you know, progress is, is definitely being made. There aren't many. There aren't All right, many, man. So we have-
0: We're over an hour so. I'll let you go. Okay.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Yeah. You can save the rest of your questions for next time if you have any, I guess. But, uh, Well, it's been good. Thank you for letting me. uh,
0: (laughs) I I hope it's been therapeutic.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, use your podcast as a punching bag as I ordinarily do. So I'll uh, (laughs) I'll sign up for my next therapy session for next month and see what happens from there. (laughs) All right, man. See you later. All right. Take care, man.
0: (laughs) Please send your comments or questions to everythingvoluntary at gmail.com. If you like this episode, please subscribe to Voluntarist Voices, a podcast featuring lectures, interviews, and audio essays by intellectual giants, past and present. You can rate and review this podcast in your podcast app, and please share it with everyone you know. Please consider supporting this podcast in everythingvoluntary.com by setting up an automatic monthly donation at patreon.com forward slash EVC. One-time donations are also accepted at paypal.me forward slash everythingvoluntary.